Matthew chapter 7, in verse 7, I'd imagine that I'm going to be uh, pulling from some uh, verse in Scripture today that probably all across the country, all across America today, these were probably popular Scriptures, but they're good Scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said this, Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone that seeks... Everyone that asks receives, and everyone that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. What man is there of you, whom if his son, it's his child, what father, if his son asked you for bread, would he give him a stone? Of course not. He says, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent, a snake. And if you being evil, that's us, and when Jesus said evil, he's saying carnal. If you're carnal, you're not even, you're not even deity. You're not even the father that I'm speaking of. If you're just, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask? wants to give something good today I'm just here to tell you that there is a heavenly father who is wanting to give good gifts to his children and that is not a cliche that is the words of Jesus that it is his will that if you ask he will give it to you and today we're going to begin I believe to to see some good things happen because we begin to ask God to do what he already wants to do to do what He already wants to do, to give us what He already wants to give us. And so, for a few moments, I want to preach on this topic, traits of a good father, traits of a good father. Would you put your Bibles down or close your phones, and could we begin to pray together? Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, for what you've already done in this place. We thank you for the Spirit of God, the presence of God, which is just so palpable, so real in this room. God, I pray that for the next few moments you'd anoint my voice. You, God, would allow me to minister what you want me to minister. And that, God, every guest in this room, every member in this room, I pray that, God, your word would minister to them. Let our hearts be prepared and open to what your word would have to say. And one more time before you're seated, could we just give it up for every guest in the house here on Father's Day? Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. You can all be seated. At first, I didn't notice the absence of a man I had never known. My childhood was idyllic. I lived in a comfortable home surrounded by toys that I never had to share with a sibling. My mother worked for Via Rail and I have many memories of a long train ride or the long train rides, listening to the hum of the train moving along the tracks. My mom took me to picturesque Uh, Belf Mountain Conservation Area. Every fall, I would grab clumps of crunchy brown and yellow leaves and throw them toward the sky. I was a voracious reader and spent hours immersed in all different types of books. But as I grew into a young woman, Brianna Bell, a writer for The Globe and Mel, she continued with these words and would say, I felt a gaping hole inside of me. It grew bigger and bigger as the years passed. No father to bring to the father-daughter dance at church. No father to wave at me as I danced on stage. No father to high-five me after I hit a home run in baseball. As these moments passed, the hole seemed to get bigger and bigger until it was impossible to notice much else. A few days before I left for university, My dad called to speak with me. And I remember 
his words, Brianna wrote, quote, Brianna, there's no point to going to university. I only completed 11th grade, and I did just fine. His words cut me deep. I was the first person in my family to attend university, and I'd worked hard to get there. His reasons for calling were self-preserving. I knew that. And I knew if I didn't attend university, that he would not be legally bound to provide financially. And that was his motivation. My heart still aches when I think about it. My father wasn't proud of me, she said. I ended up graduating, though, from university, getting married and having two beautiful children of my own. Through it all, I continued to believe in miracles. I longed for my dad to enter back into my life or for my mom to remarry and find a man who would adopt me. I hoped for a happy ending to this part of my story, but it just never seemed to work out, although I was able to build my own miracle in my own family. I rummaged through what seemed like thousands of stories and could have used any one of them. In fact, I could have used personal stories from this congregation here today. Because the fact of the matter is we are in a society in a day and time where maybe it could be said that the greatest issue and the greatest contributing factor to the dysfunction of our society is an absent father. So many homes could tell that exact same story of not being able to know the man or ever see the face of the one that they would call dad. And today as I preach on the traits of a good father, it seems to make sense that the very first thing that I would say to you and to I is that the number one trait of a good father is a father that is present. And today I understand that even reading that story could begin to invoke emotions in several individuals in this room or that are watching online. But I want also to remind each and every one of you, no matter what your background is, where you come from, or whether or not you relate to that story, that the fact of the matter is that Romans 8, 13 through 14 puts it very well when it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We understand what that word Abba means. Many in here know what it means. But if you don't, let me tell you what it means. When, when the writer of Romans penned this, he wanted them to know that Abba is the most personal word for father that they had. It was like Papa or Dad. It was a familiarity. And what this writer was saying is that the spirit that you have received has caused you to be completely brought in to the sonship with your father. But not just your father, your dad. Papa, the one that you are familiar with. And what I love about it is it continues on and says, and we've heard this scripture, but often we separate it. The next verse says, and therefore... We are heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ. We have been given all of the good gifts, 
all of the good things that, that God has to offer, we have been given those because we are His. Can I just tell you today, we serve a present God. We have been given a Father that is in every situation there and present with you and I. The promise of the scripture is still that he knew your name before you were ever even a thought or an idea in, in earthly parents' minds. And he has numbered the hairs on your head. Can I just tell you today, you have a heavenly father who is wildly and madly in love with you. You have a heavenly father today. Who does not run when you mess up. Who doesn't go in the opposite direction. No, there is a spirit of adoption that has been placed on each and every one of those that call themselves believers. And here is what it cries. Abba, Father. A familiarity. Can I just tell you, God is not meant to be a distant figure. A staunch one that sits on a throne far from you. No, the image of God is meant to be one that is present and familiar and knows you by name. And today, I've just come to remind somebody on this Father's Day, there is a present help in the time of trouble, and his name is Abba Father. He is here for you today. So no matter what you're going through, can I just remind you, Stello Church, that God wants to be in that thing. You don't have to be ashamed of your trial. You don't have to be ashamed of your circumstance. No, God is there to work. We serve a present God. We serve a present God. The second thing about our God, not only is He present, but if you're writing notes, I want you to think about this, write this one down possibly, because it probably wouldn't be in the idea that you would necessarily uh, have written down for me. God, your Father, the trait that He displays that makes Him a great Father, is He does not internalize the failure of his children. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. God does not internalize the failure of his children. In fact, what we understand about God is he understands how to deal with our sin sickness and yet love us at the same time. In fact, that's what the entire gospel is about. Is that there is a father who is desiring to reach for children who are wayward and broken. And he so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son that we might have life. And that is the story of Christ. Is that there is a reconciliation between the sin of children and the perfection of father. Uh, recently, I was, I was reading a book as... My little baby girl was, was, was on the way and my little boy uh, is, a, is approaching five years old. I picked up a book this, this past year and I begin to read it. It's by uh, counselor and prolific writer Paul Tripp. And uh, the, the book is simply entitled Parenting. And it's one of the better books that I've, I've read on parenting. One of my favorite parts of that book is, is Dr. Tripp begins to talk about the concept of what he calls ownership parenting. Versus stewardship parenting. 
And so he begins to pull all of the different scriptures to justify this, this concept that he teaches in his book. And he says, anytime you see God uh, talking about his children, or anytime God gives us authority over something, he always makes it very clear that he is the owner and we are the stewards. Think about that parable that says that there was one that owned the field. And, and you could think about ten different ones when I say that. But the, the Bible says that, that this, this particular vine, was not bearing fruit but the steward of the of that vineyard every year was trying to make it bear fruit and when the owner of the field would come the steward would say just give it one more year just give me one more year to work with it what the steward understood is I don't own the vine the owner of the field owns the vine I'm sort of what you'd call a middleman who has to steward and has to work. Do you understand that, that whenever you see the parables of the end time and the Bible says that we're going to have to give account for our lives, we oftentimes see it put in the terms biblically of stewardship. You don't own your eternity. You don't own yourself. In fact, the Bible says that every single one of us at the end of days, we're going to have to give account on that day of judgment. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to present our works back to Him and we're going to have to basically justify, did I steward my life? Well, it's amazing that we understand that when it comes to time. We understand that principle when it comes to several things. But did you know, and I'm going to preach to some parents for a second, fathers in this room, that I don't own my child? Now, I know, I know, I figured that would be the response I would get because many of you are like rolling up your sleeves. You're like, no, let me tell you something. We, the government doesn't own my child. The public school system doesn't. That's my child. And you get all sassy and you get ready to go to Facebook and, 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 and get all political. And good for you. Good for you. But at the end of the day, what you've got to understand is you are sin sick and fallen just like your kids. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Your kid is just like my kid. My kid was sinning before he even knew what sin was. My kid can't spell sin, but he sure knows how to do it. That dude, not, he may not even know that it's sin, but he has no issue. Everything from disobedience to lying to, to, to stealing. Now, thank God that, that disobedience, that lying and that stealing, it, he's just stealing cookies, you know? He's just lying about, about what, what, you know, what the, the, the show on his iPad, the other side on that YouTube kids. I'm, what are you watching? Not allowed to be watching it. I wasn't watching it. You're a liar is what you are. You know why he does that? You want to know why? Because he is Whitley's son. Oh, come on now. She in the room? She's, she's taking care of the baby. I can say whatever I want now. It's getting free in here. No, you know why he does that. Because, because he's, he looks like Devin Jr., he couldn't deny me if he wants to. And the reason he is so sin sick is because I am so sin sick. I'm his father. I'm as messed up. And you know what? The Bible says that by one man's sin, the father of us all, which is Adam in, in, in humanity, by one man's sin, sin entered into every... You want to know why your kids are so messed up? Because you're so messed up. It's your fault. But isn't it, aren't you thankful today that even though by my, my sin and the fact that this child is born of human nature, born of a man and a woman who are both earthly and therefore they are carnal, 
They are, they are the same way. Aren't you thankful that the same redemption power that works in this man's life and allows me to walk in grace and mercy, God has promised that it's not just for me, but it's for my children. But here's the thing. I can't give them that redemption. I have the power to translate my sin nature to them. But you can't save your kids. Oh, I already am preaching to some parents in this place. But see, we get an ownership mentality that we actually think that we can force our kids to do things. And worse yet, if you have an ownership mentality, you know what you do? Every time your kid messes up, you internalize it. And you're the failure. And you, and you know what that is inherently at the, at the very most basic thing? You know what that is? It's selfish. Because, and let me just tell you how you really know whether or not you're doing this, whether or not you're living by an ownership mentality rather than a stewardship mentality. When your child messes up, you say things like this How could you do this to me? How could you embarrass our family name like this? Don't you, people know that I'm your father. People are going, all that is, even though it may be true. At, at least on some level, what ultimately that is, is that selfishness. Because rather than your child's sin being about them and God, it's about you and them. It's about the fact that you expected them to represent an image of who you weren't even in the first place. And when they failed to represent the image that you wanted them to, because maybe they're just not good as faking it, at faking it as you are, you internalize their failure, and now their failure becomes a reflection on you. And you become embarrassed about what people are going to think about you, rather than actually worrying about their relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, their failure is more about them and God than it is anything else. Man, I feel God's presence moving in here. You say, what does this have to do? Because what you've got to understand about God as a perfect father is he knows how to not internalize my failure. He knows how to look at Devin Akers and love me despite my failure. In fact, he knows that I fell and yet he still extends mercy and grace because it is his desire that I would have reconciliation. In fact, when you look at the cross, what you see in the bloody, marred, broken, scarred body of Jesus Christ is a father who was desiring redemption with children who were broken today. Mm, I feel God's presence in this room right now. But the issue is, is oftentimes because we internalize the failure of our own children, we think God operates the exact same way. We think that every time we fail, God is looking and he is, and listen, God grieves at sin. No doubt about it. In fact, the Bible says that when you sin, what happens? The Holy Spirit is grieved. Anybody ever felt that conviction of the Holy Ghost when you fall short? But what you've got to understand is that does not mean that you have a judgmental father who does not have his own identity enough to separate himself from your failures He's so secure in his own holiness that he can look down at the brokenness of your situation and still find a way to give you and I redemption today. But the problem is we have lived in homes and environments and in atmospheres and cultures so long where there have been fathers who have been abusive physically and with their words that oftentimes we have a difficult time delineating between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. 
But what we see in the opening text, which I will go back to, is that Jesus says, even a carnal father, even an evil father can give at least some bread to his children. He knows how to reach out and feed that hungry belly. And if you, with all of your habits, hurts, and hang-ups, know how to be a decent earthly father, and you are carnal, and you have a sin nature, how much more do you believe that there is a perfect God in heaven who is willing to pour out upon you things that you have been asking for, things that you are in need of. He's not holding my sin over my head saying, ah, until you get this fixed, I can't work on you. I can't love you. It is the exact opposite. Because he loves me, he comes despite my brokenness, despite my shame, despite my shortcomings. We serve a God who is so good and perfect. In fact, we see this uh, depicted in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, one of the best verses in scripture that you can read. I'm not going to go through it all because you know the scripture. But the Bible says that there is a prodigal son. Don't forget, this is Jesus teaching this. He said that this son, oh man, come on, some of you guys, you have had kids like this. You know what I'm talking about. You've had kids like this. He comes to his father. He says, Father, give me all that is mine. I don't want to wait on my inheritance. I am ready to leave and go. And so the father does what he desires. And this is where we get the story of the prodigal son. The scripture says he goes out. He spends all that he has on riotous living. And then the scripture says when he is at his worst, the son comes in. And we're going somewhere, but listen to me. The son sits down, stench of the pig pen on him. He has done things that has desecrated and don't, they're not in alignment with what he was taught. And he is almost sure that his father is going to reject him as a son. In fact, he's positive about it because he doesn't even entertain the idea that his father would want there to be redemption. This is what he says. He says, even the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask not for sonship to be restored because that would be crazy. But what I'm going to ask for is I'm going to ask just to be a servant in his house. Now how many, man, I, I feel God's presence on this Father's Day speaking to somebody. How many of us, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I would guarantee it's about 100% of us have approached God in the midst of our sin and our shame. We've gone back to the same thing we said we wouldn't go back to. We can't believe we're here again. And when we approach God, we're not even asking Him for sonship. We're not even asking for Him to pick us up, wrap us in His loving arms. We're just saying, God, if you can even stand to look at me, would you just one more time allow me to maybe just, just be a part of this? I'm broken. I've messed up. And we come leading with our condemnation and our guilt. But what I love about this story is the Bible says that when that son came and he, he even steps into the driveway, he looks up and that elderly father... He gets, he goes out of his way. I love this. Because let me just tell you, if you're the father of the house, if you're, the, if you're a wealthy man and you've got servants around you, I want you to get this imagery in your head. Because there's something that takes place at the very first moment that that father makes eye contact with that younger son. The Bible says that he doesn't wait with his arms crossed, with his chin in the air. He says, I knew you'd come back. I knew, humbled enough. I knew it would straighten you out. You thought, it was, you thought it was something completely different. I tried to tell you before you left. No, 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 no. That's ownership parenting. You see, you've, you've made a shame and a mockery of my name. 
How dare you leave us? Me, I, that's ownership parenting. But the scripture says that was just the opposite of what he did. The scripture says that when he sees him, he takes that robe that he has. And, you, and some would say in this day, in this culture, it was, this was actually a humiliating thing to do. Immodest to do. And instead of worrying about his modesty or his prestige or his look, scripture says that he hikes that up. And I can just see it, that bearded father, that old man, he begins to run to his son. Now, some of y'all, if your father did that, you'd see him and you'd go, he's going to kill me. But the Bible says that when he approaches him and reaches him, he falls on him. And he says, my son has returned. My son has returned. He says, go kill the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger. Because he is not going to be called. And, and the son is trying to spit out his explanation. No, 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 no. Listen to me, dad. I'll just be, shh, shh, shh don't talk. No, no, no. I'll just be a servant. I'll just, no, 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 no. Listen to me. You are my son. And no matter what riotous living you have lived, no matter where you are coming from, here's what I know is you are mine. You're flesh of my flesh. You are mine. And can I just tell you, there is a God who is not worried about what your failures make him look like. There is a God who is looking for a bride, yes, who is white and is pure. But can I tell you, we have so many principles and precedents to go back on that he will take those that were harlots, those that were broken, those that were sin sick, those that were shameful, those that were considered half-breeds by those that were considered pure, those that are in all types of shame. And he says, I don't care what it makes me look like. Your redemption is more important than my reputation your redemption let the neighbors talk let the people say what they want to you are my child you're my son you're my daughter I'm not going to internalize your failures your failures can be wiped away and washed away oh but hear me then there was one in the story who heard the music from the field this is the story he hears the music he says my no parties tonight. I'm out here sweating, working. What's going on? I, I hear the music. I, I smell the, the, the fatted calf. It smells like we're about to eat. He shows up. He walks around the corner. His hands are just, just dirt all over them. Riddled with dirt and blistered and sweating and tired. Faithful. Firstborn son. And he comes in. And to his dismay, there they are. Partying. There they are celebrating the one that would walk away. And he pulls his father to the side. This is what the scripture says. And he exaggerates the lostness of his brother. Because the Bible says that we don't know what the prodigal son did. Nobody told him this. But the, but, but the narrative from the older son about his brother is this. He has been with harlots. Well, How did you know that? You don't even know that that's true. You just said that. And he begins to make up the worst case scenario narrative of his brother's sin. And he says, essentially, from an ownership mentality, he's going to bring shame to your name, Father. Is this how you want to live? He doesn't deserve to be here. And you know what he says? And this is where it really boils down to it. It was never about the prodigal son. It was never really about the name of his father. You know what it was about? It was about him. Because he says this, I have been nothing but faithful to you. 
And you never threw me a party. You never spent time with me. And do you know what we get out of this story? Watch this. This is important. Is that the scripture makes it very clear. And I want you to see this. That the Father, we know who that is, don't we? The Father is God. That's simple. Jesus made that very clear. Who's the Father? It's our Father God. Our Father every time that we fall. And oftentimes we put ourselves in the shoes of the prodigal. But can I tell you, listen to me for a moment, that it's also pretty clear that the prodigal is that one that returns from sin. But you want to know who the, brother, the, the older brother is? It's the church. And you know why the church has a hard time bringing people in sometimes? It's because we have an ownership mentality rather than a stewardship mentality. Well, you just don't know where they've been, Pastor. I'll tell you, they've, they've, they're coming from places that, you know, they're backbiters. They're gossipers. And we write narratives about people's story. And you know what we do? It's not just, it's not just people that are out in the world that have, have lived lifestyles that we know are wrong. But it's even people that are coming in as backsliders that were once in church. And you know what? I just want you to know, I've never actually been there. And I pray to God that I'll never have to be there or my children will never have to be there. But I just want you to think, maybe you've never been there. Maybe you're like me and you've never been there. But I want, to th I want you to think with me. Because some of you have been. What it must feel like to walk back through the doors for the first time after knowing that you walked away from the church and from the plan of God. And what it must be like. You know your father's going to love you because you've heard enough, enough messages like I'm preaching today. But you also know that you're not going to have to just look eye to eye with your father who's going to run out to meet you in the parking lot before you even get to the doors of the church. You're going to feel the presence of God as soon as you make the decision. I'm going back to church. I'm getting in the will of God. That's the father. He doesn't, he doesn't try to make you feel terrible. He doesn't try to condemn you. Yes, conviction's been drawing you. The grace of God's been drawing you. But he's been pulling you in. But can you imagine how having to walk into a church and look eye to eye with people that you want to serve shoulder to shoulder with. Can you imagine the humility? Oh my God, I feel the presence of God speaking to us right now. Can I just tell you that there's a revival of prodigals that could literally fill this building up in the Raleigh area? And I want every prodigal to hear me. I pray in the name of Jesus that somehow this message would make it to your computer screen or your phone screen. When you come to Stello Church, you're going to have an older brother that's ready to meet you. And we're going to check our pride at the door. We're going to check our ego at the door. And we say, welcome home. Not only is the Father going to meet you in the driveway, but there's going to be people that have been faithfully serving that say, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Forget about the inheritance. Forget about the reputation. Forget about what other churches think about us. Fill this room up with people who are broken and have walked away from God. Oh, if that's your prayer, would you lift your voice for a moment? Fill this church with people who are broken. I'm ready for the little brother to come home. I'm ready for some people to come home that they feel like if I walk back to the church, I'm going to get judged. There's going to be people who look at me differently. Oh, I'm sure that there may be one or two, but I think I speak for the majority of Stello Church when I tell you no matter where, you at, where you're at, no matter where you have been, we are saying resoundingly, welcome home. Come back home. Come back home. Let's work together until Jesus comes back. Let's work together. You're family can be saved. You can be restored.
Oh, I feel God's presence. I wonder if you could just lift your voice. And if we could let anybody know that's watching right now with our voices lifted. That this is the prayer of our church. Come on right now. Come on, on this Father's Day, we say come home. On this Father's Day, we say there's restoration in this house. On this Father's Day, we say you won't get a cold shoulder. You won't get a snide remark or a cold look. You're going to get people whose arms are open wide that say if you've been hurt and you've been broken, if you've spent all that you've had, this is the place to come. Not only will the Father be here, but the church will too. The church is here too. We don't own people. They're God's people. Their failure doesn't give our church a reputation. Their failure doesn't change any. In fact, can I just tell you, I am least, uh, the least I've ever been worried about what other churches think about us is right now. We are who we are. We're an apostolic church. We're a church that believes in miracles, signs, and wonders. We're a church that preaches Acts 2.38. But can I just tell you, we're a church of mercy and grace and humility. We're a church that says no matter where you've been, what you look like, what your habits, hurts, and hang-ups are, if God accepts you, the least we can do is accept you because He's the one that owns it all. He's the one that owns it all. He's the one that owns it all. And He's the most gracious, most kind, most merciful thing. And so who are we to stand in the way of people's restoration? No, I look and I think about that woman who was going to be stoned. And all Jesus had to do was say the one phrase. He looked at them and He said, "He, Whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And you know what the Bible says? It's from the oldest to the youngest. They begin to drop the rocks that were in their hands. And they walked away from that woman who was caught in the middle of adultery. You want to know why it was the oldest to the youngest? Because the longer you live, the more you ought to realize that you need grace. Because no matter how old you get, you are still in a place where it is by the grace and the mercy of God. I've not arrived. I've not arrived. Yeah, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to do better every day. And I believe in this process of sanctification. But here's what I know as I get older and I'm trying to be a good husband, a good parent, a good pastor. God, I need your grace more than I've ever needed it. I need your mercy like I've never needed it before. And you know what God is saying, Devin? I'm going to give it to you because I don't internalize your failures. I'm not defined by where you've been. I define myself. I'm holy. I'm gracious and I'm merciful. Thank you, Jesus. I'm almost finished. But the third thing is this, and we're already on this track, is God a good father, our God. You know what he does? Last thing, he gives good gifts. He gives good gifts to his children. You've heard this story probably before, but it's fictional, but it's so good. The story says that there was a young man who was pampered by his rich father, And the young man was about to graduate. And so he took his father to a showroom where there was a sports car that he wanted. He pointed to the sports car and he said, Dad, that's the one. That's the one that I want. Well, he knew. He was aware of the fact that his father could easily afford it. And so his expectation was that the week later after he graduated that undoubtedly he would be handed the keys to this sports car. But the story goes that on the day of his graduation... 
The young man waited for all the signs that pointed to him getting the sports car. And so his dad handed him a box. He ripped the paper off of the box. There he stood in the private study room of his father in the large home that he was raised in. And when he ripped the box open, he found a Bible. And he looked at the Bible and he looked at his father and he frustratedly said, Dad, this isn't what I asked for. His father said, Son, it's all you need. Just open up that Bible, begin to read it. And I promise you that will give you more than anything you could ever ask for. So disappointed, put the book down on the table. Walked out, turned his back to him. Seldom ever spoke to his, if ever spoke to his father again. Years and years would pass and the son would become his own self-made success story. And one day he thought about his father and he thought maybe it was time to reconcile. But before he could reconcile and as he would wrestle with these thoughts of reconciliation with that man that he left so many years ago in that study, he got a phone call. His father had passed away. And so the son came to the house where his father was at, the large home, and he began to go through the belongings. Everything that his father had was willed to his son. And that son began to go through and he began to look for important documents in that study where he had left him years before. And there he would see that leather-bound Bible sitting, almost in the exact same spot that he had left it. And he picked it up and he began to go through the pages. And as he began to go through the pages, something slipped out of the back cover. It was keys to a brand new car that years before his father had already bought and paid for. He began to weep because he heard the words of his father. Everything that you need is in that book. Just open it. Just open it. There is something, I'm just telling you, I just want you to hear me. Everything that you need, the Father has already given, and it's in that book. Every promise that you need, your salvation, your healing, your life, restoration for your family, it's in that book, but you've got to open it, and you've got to look on the inside. God is wanting to give you every good gift. That's what the scripture said in Matthew 7. He said, if your father, being earthly, being carnal, if, if you are a father and you know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father, who the scripture says has supplied every need according to his riches and glory, how much more is he willing and desirous? But you, what is the first scripture in verse 7? You have to ask you have to seek. You have to knock on the door. Today, I'm here to tell you that there is a father who is looking out into the distance. He's looking for a prodigal who's ready to come home. He's looking for somebody who's willing and ready to put the old lifestyle behind them and say, God, I'm tired of living in condemnation. I'm tired of living in struggle. And he's saying, listen, if you're tired of all of that, I got everything you need. It's right here in this old leather-bound book that the world says is antiquated. But when you open it up and you begin to read it, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see my love shed abroad. You're going to see the story of one who redeemed you. You're going to see a father who is willing and able, but the problem is often 
oftentimes rather than opening that book up and letting God define himself by his own word. We use our experiences to define God. God began to deal with me, and I'm almost finished. In fact, musicians, you can be making your way. Would you pray with me right now before I say this? I feel God's presence. We're almost finished, but God's moving in this room. Jesus, I ask you for the next few moments, God, as we finish this service, that you'd begin to do a deep healing in people. That, God, people would leave here with encouragement from your word. That, God, perspectives would change. God, that maybe there's a man in this room that has been projecting strength because of insecurity. God, maybe there's an individual in this room that has been embarrassed by their own actions behind closed doors. And they have allowed that God to dictate how they worship. And the reason that they don't worship in freedom is because they're bound by pornography on a computer. They're bound by failure. God, they're bound by an experience that has humiliated them that maybe, God, a good chance they didn't even ask for that experience, but it was, it was put upon them at an early and young age. I pray, God, that we would stop looking at you through the lens of our experiences and let your own word define you. Because your word says that the gift that you want to give us is the gift of mercy, grace, and salvation. Would you stand with me in this room right now? When I read Matthew 7... In verse 11, a few months ago, something hit me really, really strong about this verse. Because Jesus asks and begs this question. If you, if you are an, a carnal, evil father, and you know how to treat your sons, your daughters, don't you know that your father, who's perfect, knows how to treat you? And... Isn't it amazing, TJ, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, and I just can't let it go, man. Isn't it amazing, there's parents in here. If you're a parent in here, would you just raise your hand? Come on, let me see. There's lots of parents in here. Okay, 99% of the parents in this room, probably 100% of the parents in this room, have watched their children make mistakes. I've got a five-year-old who is in defiance mode right now. Okay, And if he, is, if he has tortured you, I want to apologize. He's testing every boundary. And I hear it only gets worse when they're teenagers. And I think about what I did when I was a young man. At least once or twice I messed up. That's a joke. I think about how I tested the patience of my dad. And I think about how my patience is tested by my child and my children. And you know, even in my weakest moment, I don't look at them, even when I'm my most frustrated with them. Hear me right now. Oh God, hear me right now. I don't, I've never looked at Brighton when he messed up and said, Brighton, sonship is over. You are no longer worthy to be called my son. Now we laugh at that. Think, oh my goodness. What? Of course you haven't. But what about your 15-year-old and your 20-year-old when they're doing things to shame you? Surely to God, and if you've done this, hear me, it's time to restore this because you're talking with the mindset of an owner rather than a steward. But surely to God, you've never looked at your children, even in their worst, and said, you're not even my son or 
them. You've never disowned your children based on what they've done wrong. And yet, listen to me. Every time we sin or mess up or fall short, we for some reason think oftentimes, God, you're so ashamed of me, you must have disowned me. It's like every time we sin, we think we're slipping out of salvation. And then when we go and repent, we're slipping back into salvation. Is that how fluid salvation is? Is that, do we need to baptize you every time you sin? Because we treat repentance the same way. That if I can't run to an altar of repentance, that means I'm going straight to hell because I've sinned. Do you understand that the Bible says that when you repent, you repent over sins that you don't even know that you sinned? So if you are sinning, not even knowingly, don't you understand that the grace of God must be the only thing that's keeping you and covering you? Because if you had to run to an altar of repentance every single time that you sinned in order to be saved or in order to be a son or a daughter of God, that would mean that you most often are not a son or daughter of God. Because you are sinning even unknowingly. You are sinning the moment that you look at that billboard and you covet that vehicle. You are sinning the moment that you see that individual and your heart lusts after them, even for a second. And maybe there's people in this room that literally walk around going, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. You know what would be a really unhealthy thing? Is if my little boy who's five years old continued to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, I'm so sorry I did this. I'm... You would get worried, wouldn't you? You would wonder, what's wrong with Pastor Devin? He must have a very strange parenting style. He must have an abusive way of dealing with his son. Because his son is always apologizing and in fear that he's going to lose his dad. And yet we treat God that way. And you know what we're saying to God effectively is this. I'm a better father to my earthly children than you are heavenly father to your sons and daughters. I know how to parent with more love and mercy than you do, God. You see how our earthly experiences have dictated the love of our Heavenly Father. It's not the will of God. No, the will of God is to know that in the midst of your failure, that baptism's still working. I went down in the name of Jesus and I took on the identity of Christ and now I have a name applied to my life which is, life which is above every single name and so instead of seeing my sin all that God my Father sees is the name of Christ applied and yes I don't throw out repentance I run to repentance and I say God I failed today I messed up but I'm not repenting because I'm afraid you're going to discard me or throw me away I'm repenting because I want relationship with you I love you so much that I came to this altar and I said take my old sin take my old mindset and you know what God's doing he's restoring that relationship and he's saying come closer I'm proud of you